I really love this journey that we've all been going on together as a church, and we are moving into Holy Week this week. And often people will say, why is it called Holy Week? Like, are we supposed to be holy this week as opposed to other weeks? Is it, you know, like, more holy on this week? But holy actually means set apart and consecrated. It's special. There's something unique about it. Kind of like if you have a, one of those birthday plates in your house like we did for McKenzie. We pull out a happy birthday plate, and it's only for the birthday day. And you pull it out, it's the special plate. And so we have this week that's our special plate as Christians and followers of Jesus that we say, on this week, everything changed for us. And so we are going to, we've been in the Old Testament the last two weeks, we're going to move to the New Testament and look at the life of Jesus and pull out the plate, if you will, and say, how is this unique? How is this holy? How is this special? And how is this set apart? Um, actually, the Bible, for those of us that actually carry Bibles, there's like five of us left in the world, and it's on the front, though, it actually often says, Holy Bible. It is set apart. It's a sacred text. It's a sacred book. And so we don't always do this, but I'd like to invite you to stand to your feet, and we're going to read Scripture together. And we're going to stand for the reading of Scripture just to, to, re to reference it for just a moment. What we can see up here and see these words we're going to read today out of Matthew chapter 26. We're going to go to what oftentimes is called the Last Supper. So let's put it up there. We'll read it together. One, two, three. Now, on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? He said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand. I will keep Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Amen. You can take a seat. Now, before we jump into this text, I'm going to grossly uh, overplay this probably and group all of mankind into two groups of people, okay? That there are forgetful people and there are remembering types of people out there in the world, okay? Forgetful people, you know who you are because when you left your house today, you left something there. And you had to go back in to get your wallet or purse, your keys, you couldn't find it. Um, you're, you, you know, you have to have one of those tile things to find, to find your keys on a regular basis. You go to the grocery store for one thing, and you come back with everything except that one thing, okay? There's those forgetful people, typically late to meetings as well, all right? Who are my forgetful people out there? Any, any, any other forgetters, okay? Then there are the rememberers. That's the rest of you. Raise your hand. You can't fathom how people misplace their keys. They're always right there where you put them. You know, they're always right there by the door, on the hook. They are right there by your phone and your wallet and your purse and everything else because you would never want to forget anything. It blows your mind that people actually do this kind of stuff, that they forget things all the time. And you just are like, how did you forget stuff? It doesn't make sense, okay? So for those of us who are forgetters, we would love to be you for you rememberers. You rememberers typically resent us because we, you married us, okay? Or you have children that are us or something along those lines. I'm a forgetter. And I often say, I owe my assistant, Meredith, my life for the amount of time she has gone back to the house to get a bag for me while I'm in a meeting waiting for that thing that she's going to bring back. Uh, but I don't just stop at forgetting stuff. I forget people. And so I have been known to get home from church on Sunday and look at my wife and say, where's the kids? You know, like, I thought she went to the nursery to get the kids. And then we had to go back to the church to get the kids. And make matters worse, uh, 
the Griffins actually were part of this. We used to do a little trip every summer to this lake house in Oklahoma. We stopped one year at a little convenience store. It's like eight, it's like it's like eight couples and five hundred thousand children. And so we go into the convenience store and we leave. We get in the suburban and we're not ten seconds down the road and someone said, "Where's McKenzie?" And I turn around. Didn't do the head count this time, and I've only got three kids back there. I do a Deuce of Hazard U-turn and fly around, and so does everybody else. And I walk back into the convenience store, and there's my, I don't know, she's like seven, seven-year-old McKenzie, and she is standing there with her hand on her head, and she is tapping her toes. She goes, um, you forgot me. And I fell on my knees, and I'm so sorry, Daddy, did that. I'm so sorry, please forgive me. And she looked at me, and she just goes, you're forgiven. You're gonna buy me this candy. I said I'm gonna buy you the whole freaking store. I mean, like, whatever you want, kid, okay? So, to say that I'm a forgetter is a gross understatement, okay? And the, the thing is, I have found is that even, even if you're a rememberer, all of us have this thing inside of us that we can tend to forget the things God has done for us in the past and the things that He is doing, especially when our circumstances get really shaken up. As they have the last few years, a lot has shaken. So when things get intense or adversity comes, they talk about their spite or flight. I'd like to add, I think there's also forget. And we can forget who God is and what he's done in the midst of everything going on. Now, here's the beautiful thing. Speaking of that Holy Bible, it is filled with stories of people who keep forgetting who God is. So we have a whole book of inspiration to go back to, either to not do what they do or to do what they did in order to remember who God is and what he's doing for us. And so one of those moments that we're going to actually look at in the scriptures today is the Passover. Now, the Passover was something that was put into the Jewish people's calendar every year. It would be a reminder. It would be a tile on their keychain to remind them, here's where your keys are. Here's where your phone is. It would remind them of something that God has done in their life. Now, most of you probably aren't Passover junkies. You didn't come this morning and study Jewish culture. Most of us, maybe some of you did. I'd like to meet you at the end of the service if you did that. Um, but so if you didn't, if you don't know all that, then basically you just need to know that the people of God were in slavery for 430 years in Egypt. And it had just crushed their souls. And so they were crying out, God, please raise up a deliverer. And God raised up a man named Moses to help bring them into a place of freedom. Now, in God's mercy, he arranges a series of plagues to pry the grip of the uh, Egypt, Egyptians off of the people of Israel, and it doesn't work. So they come to the tenth plague, the greatest and most harmful plague. And on that night, God tells them, on this night, the people of God, I want you to prepare a great big meal. It's going to be full of very specific things that you're going to do. They're going to help you remember who I am, and then we're going to get all the kids involved in this as well. And then what's going to happen is, there's going to be a moment where death literally passes over, thus the name Passover, the land of Egypt. And if you are in a home that's the people of God, marked with the seal of the people of God, you'll be set free and saved. If not, then your firstborn will die. Then they get to freedom. Fast forward, they are free. And then God says, you know that meal you all did back there? I want you to do that every year so that every successive generation remembers what I did for them. And it will speak to who I am in this day as well. So that's why they got the kids involved. They needed them to help pass this down. So the kids would typically start it. If it wasn't a kid, the youngest person at the table would start by saying something along the lines of, Father, please tell me, why is this night more special than all the other nights? 
And they would begin by pulling the kids in, they would ask this series of questions, and then they would begin to say to them, well, for 1,500 years, we've been doing this meal off and on. They didn't always keep it off and on for all of these years. And that's where we pick up the story. We're going to look at different angles of this story. Um, we're going to start right now in Luke chapter 22 and see what had happened um, with Jesus celebrating the Passover with his disciples. Verse 14 says, And when the hour came, he reclined, Jesus reclined at table, and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Now, I don't actually know which word, if any, was emphasized the night Jesus spoke. But there's many commentators that actually say that it could have been that Jesus emphasized the word this. That Jesus was looking at his disciples and he says to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you. Because this Passover is going to be different than all the other Passovers. This Passover, I'm going to go through more pain and hardship and suffering. And it's going to inaugurate something new and beautiful in all of you. Also, it was going to be done very differently. If you're a Passover person and you study Passover a lot, then when you read the accounts of the Gospels, you'll know Jesus apparently didn't get the order right. Actually, the Jewish people call this a Seder, which means order. And so there's a very specific order. Like right now, March Madness is going on. And there's basketball. Even if you're a non-athletic person, you know there's warm-ups, there's a tip-off, there's a first half, there's halftime, there's a, sec there's a second half, sometimes there's overtime. You can hate sports, you know that part. Jewish people would have done this meal so many times, it is so ingrained in their being that Jesus is going to step up and in essence is going to go, all right, halftime. And they're going to be like, we didn't do the warm-ups. We do the tip-off. And the Jewish people, we just kind of read the story oftentimes before we take communion. We assume that's what they were doing, was just doing bread and cup. We don't know. Wow, Jesus, he really kind of screwed the order up. He messed the protocols up. He wasn't messing them up. He was introducing and inaugurating something brand new that each of them would be and that they would be able to experience as they walked through this Passover uh, together. So, for example, they'd be sitting at their table, and they might have some of these types of things that are sitting at their table, and they would know each one of these things to them means something very, very special, and they're going to be utilizing each of these different um, elements in their meal together. So, here's how it starts. It actually starts the night before. Their warm-ups, you might say, was to do a top-to-bottom clean-out of any thing that resembled leaven in their home. Leaven was like a baking soda agent. It was like yeast that made uh, bread rise. And on the night when they were getting ready to leave Egypt, God told them, you do not have time to make bread with yeast or with leaven and wait for it to rise. You need to be ready to go. So do not use yeast, do not use leaven, just get your bread and then be ready to go. And so on the night before they celebrate Passover, they were to clean all of this out, but it was symbolic. It was symbolic of, is there any sin inside of me that left to itself would continue to rise and grow and cause something I do not want to be in my life? So it was spiritually symbolic. God, clean the sin out of my life as they clean out the baking soda type agents, the leaven, out of their home. And now they would come to Passover. It was time to begin. And the father of the home, he would lead out the Passover on that night, in, in the case of the disciples, Jesus functioned as the Father, meaning he's going to lead each part, and he's going to let all of them be included. Now, he's going to actually 
one by one, you're going to see the word cup utilized. And there's a series of four different cups that would be drunk from throughout that evening. And we see the, the first of them come into play. Actually, we see, I'm sorry, we see all four of them come into play through a part of the scriptures in Exodus chapter 6. They would have known very well. But I'd like to read it for you right now so you can see. Here's the four promises, the four proclamations that were being made from that would be the, the indicators, the roadmap for why they would drink four different times from this cup. Now, again, remember, this is going to be a massive meal. We don't, it wasn't just like communion. You'd be like, wow, they all got full on that? No. This was like a, this is like an all-you-can-eat buffet. They are getting just stuffed with what they're about to participate in. But it all goes back to Exodus chapter 6, verse 5 and 7. It says, Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I remembered my covenant. Say, therefore, to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. And I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Now, I read that kind of quickly. You may not have caught the four proclamations and promises that are being made. So I want to show you what each of those four are, and what each of the four cups were, and what they stood for. So, cup number one is, I will bring you out. Then they're going to pour the second cup, and remember, I will deliver you from slavery. That they're going to pour wine into the third cup. I will redeem you. And then the cup number four, I will take you to be my people. All right? Why don't we do a little responsive reading and practice this together, okay? I'll say cup. You read what it is. Cup one. Cup two. Cup three. And cup four. There you go. So the next part of the ceremonial of the of the Seder was a time of ceremonial cleansing. So the father is going to pick up a pitcher and a bowl, and he's going to come and he's going to come to each person and allow them to wash their hands. And it was again, it was it was physical, physically needed, but also spiritual reminder. God cleanse me of anything in my life that would that would cause tension in my relationship with you. I want it out of my life. If you went today to a synagogue, they may not pass it around, but when you went into that fellowship hall for the meal, there would be places indicated where you could come here and you could do a time of prayer and wash your hands. So how strange is it that the Father, Jesus, takes a bowl and a towel and does it go for their hands? He goes for their what? So it makes sense why Jesus, like why Peter in John chapter 17, speaks up and he goes, not my feet. You're in the order wrong. And not just that, you didn't just ask me for the part that's a little bit gross. You went for the most detestable part of me. I mean, some of y'all just, this part of the story, y'all don't read because you have feet issues. And so it makes you nauseous to read this part of the story. If you think that this part of the story is gross now, let's go First Testament feet. Let's go walk a long time through dirt and mud and walk in the home. And Jesus is symbolically saying, give me the part of you you have a tendency to hide. Give me the part of you you don't want to give me. And that's what Peter texted. It's like, oh, you can just wash everything, all of it, you know. And Jesus is like, no, I'm just going to wash your feet because it's an indicator I'm taking the worst of you. Gladly washed your feet. And he is going to go in between each toe. He's going to dry their feet. He is going to get into the part that everybody's like, ugh. And Jesus is like, welcome to church. 
unbelievable that your Jesus would be this way to be to you. Then, in chapter 26, chapter 26 of Matthew, verse 21, it says, And as they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him, one after another, Is it I, Lord? And he answered, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. Now, I always picture this like an accident, like we're all going for the chips and salsa, and we just keep banging each other on the way to the cup, and you hurry up, I just get mine. So I didn't quite understand the relevance of this until I studied this story. But on a table to this very day, there would be a bitter herb called that, is, that resembles like horseradish for us. Who likes horseradish? Okay, y'all are psychos. Okay, who, who does not like horseradish? Okay, yeah, y'all are my people. Y'all are the forgetful people, probably, because we're clicking so far. Um, and, uh, but in fourth grade, they did this little challenge for us. They tried to explain this. We didn't catch it. All we do is they put horseradish on our tongue to see who could hold it the longest. And I have PTSD from that, so I can't take, uh, can't take horseradish uh, to this very day. But if you uh, were in a, in a Jewish home, it wouldn't matter if you liked it or not. Because if, if they were taking it very seriously, they would all reach into the dish, and they would take that horseradish, and they would ingest it until tears began to flow from the from the acidic spiciness of this herb. Like onions, like if onions sometimes you cut them and it makes these tears. They would do this to remind them, do you remember the agony and the pain of being captured in slavery? Well, of course you don't, it's been 1,500 years ago. But they would, if you had not burned out tears crying, take more, take more. Keep dipping into the dish, take more of the bitter herb until tears come, because you cannot be celebrating your Freedom, unless you understand what it's like to be a captive. And so don't forget the agony of what we felt there. And so as they're saying this, it's no ironic nature that Jesus and Judas at the same time go for the most bitter herb because the two of them are about to experience the most bitter moments. Jesus mm-hmm. must experience the bitterness of being left alone and tortured and crucified. And Judas is about to feel the feeling of deep regret that all of us have felt when we felt like we betrayed the Savior. And they both go into the dish, and they don't just bump hands. This purposeful moment of taking in the most bitter part of the story. But Jesus is making a point through this. I will deliver you from slavery. And as they're drinking the cup, they're reminded. They're drinking, when they drink the cup, they're taking wine and being poured into every cup. And they're drinking that cup and and reminding themselves will be delivered from slavery. They don't even probably see the significance of what's happening in that moment until they would look back years later. Well, now it's actually time to eat the main meal. This has become like second quarter-ish, you know, first half-ish. We're now into the main meal. At that time, they all ate lamb. They did that because to to remind themselves of of the uh, power of the lamb that had served in that night in Egypt when they all killed a lamb and took its blood and put it on the doorpost. And then the angel passed over them. And if they had that blood, they were set free. Then years after that, they would sacrifice lambs. Eventually, the temple fell down. And they didn't actually go to the temple and do these sacrifices. So they didn't always have lambs. So if you were in a synagogue today, they might have brisket or turkey or chicken. However, in a home, they would make sure there was some sort of lamb bone present that reminded them of that night. But this is what's so unusual about the Passover that Jesus is celebrating. Is that... Jesus actually is the lamb. So his cousin John the Baptist has been coming and yelling out for all to hear, 
Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And they're using this very purposeful imagery. Remember back in Exodus? When we had to take that lamb and put its blood and now we sacrifice these lambs, these different lambs as atonement for our sins. Now the lamb is actually sitting at their table. And this lamb will actually shed his blood for the atonement of those that are sitting there with him. And he's sitting there and he's a part of this moment and he's saying, I am now the ultimate sacrifice. He's making clear, I'm the ultimate sacrifice of what will be needed. Your previous freedom got you out of the country of slavery. This freedom that I'm preserving for you gets you out of eternal torture. It brings you into eternal hope, freedom, salvation, and blessing. This was a, a, a beautiful but very unusual moment. That's why when we do things like baptisms, typically at church, something rises in all of us. We sense, oh, they have seen the Lamb of God and taken away their sin. I was just part of an event at Baylor I was speaking at called FM72. It's like these four nights and 72 hours of prayer that students do for revival and they have people come speak and do worship. And then they actually, the leaders have learned by doing this the last four or five years, have a trough ready because we may need to baptize people. It's not a planned part. They're just ready for it. And on the second to last night, students started streaming forward, confessing sin, and started saying, can I get baptized? And then the leaders were like, well, I guess now's the moment. And I was standing back in the back, and I was just enjoying it. But they did something that we don't do in our church um, around baptism. They would say, what is your proclamation? And then they would hold the mic in front of that guy or girl. And they would typically say something like, my proclamation is that Jesus is now my Lord and my Savior, and he will be forever. Crowd goes crazy, and then they would baptize. But this one young lady got up, and they said, what is your proclamation? And she said, my proclamation is that I once was dead, but today I'm alive, and I am ready to make this water dirty. Let's go. <laughs> and I started tearing up a bit, and they did a baptism, and they, thought, they must have said, uh, they must have known her story, because they like put her at the bottom of the trough. <laughs> jumping up and down, tears were streaming down my face because I saw what it was like for someone to say, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I'm going to take you out, deliver you from your slavery. Now, if Jesus is going according to plan, we're now at the, at the third cup. And so this is the third cup where he's going to hold up and say, I will redeem you. If that's where he actually is in the story. And he's about to do something, yet again, highly irregular. He's holding this cup, is what it seems like if you study these stories in the four Gospels. And in Matthew chapter 26, verse 26, it says, Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Now, again, remember, this is not bread. We often, even if we have a loaf of bread, and not these little stale wafers that we use in all of our churches now. Um, when we use like bread, we tear it, we pinch it. Notice it says, he broke it. Because they didn't use yeast, this was not going to rise. And so it would have resembled something much more like this, that he would have taken, and it would have broken right in front of them. They would have heard the crack of it. And it would have been striped. Typically their matzo was striped and pierced through just like this. Reminding them of Isaiah 53, what we often call a messianic promise that said he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. 
The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Such a beautiful promise. Yeah. Maybe now it makes sense why he broke the bread, but he's about to break the order again. He goes on in verse 27 of Matthew 26, and he says, And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. He wasn't supposed to do this. He's not supposed to put the wine in a cup and now pass it around. He's supposed to fill their cups. And he is making a symbolic statement to them. I'm about to pour out my blood for the salvation of the world. You're not on your own on this one. You don't do good, and if you do good, you're better than her, so you get no. You're all going to need to drink from this cup. This is my cup. And so he would have passed this around so that they drank it, and they drank it down to the last drop, like we would need to drink down his grace to the very last drop. And so they're passing it, but notice it says, poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Not all. Because not all would care. Not all would want his redemption. Not all would receive his forgiveness. But it was open to all. The cup could be passed to all. This is why when we take communion in our churches, we often say, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, we'd ask that you not take communion at this moment. This is a consecrated, set apart for the people of God who are going to drink from this cup. And if you're not ready to do that, we understand you could be on a journey and take your time. But we invite you to come in so that you're not part of the many. You're not part of the ones who are outside the many. You can be part of the many who have said, I'm drinking from his cup. And I want a relationship with him no matter what it now costs me because of the price that it costs him. It's beautiful. Every time we take communion, I hope you'd be able to pause and just remember there's a redeemer in the midst of my brokenness, my ashes. He will give me healing. Now, what's interesting is we don't actually know if he drank from that cup or not. We don't see it happening because then Matthew fast-forwards us and takes us straight to the Garden of Gethsemane at that moment. Verse 39, Matthew says, going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Again, you heard that phrase, let me take this cup from me, means take something away from me that I don't want to do. But again, what is this third cup? I will redeem you. It's no, no wonder that Jesus is saying, Father, could you take this one out of my hand? This one's going to cost me. I know the pain this is going to cost me. Would you take it out of my hand? And the reason that you and I in a moment are going to take communion and enjoying our communion we're having with God today is because the Father did not take it out of his hand. And the hope and the promise of this is that some of you probably are carrying a cup right now you wish God would take out of your hand. And if he's not taking it out, it could be that he's leaving it in your hand to remind you of the purpose that he has and he has something good for you in the midst of that. Not always easy. And Jesus is going to say, I'm going to model this. I'm going to live this. And the third cup stands for you forever. I will redeem my people now, this past year, I got to be mentored by a, a Jewish rabbi, actually, in Waco. And through that relationship, he invited me to come to their synagogue and to be a part of a Passover meal. And they came to this one portion. It was my favorite portion, for sure. Um, they, have a, they, they do this to include the kids, and so they make it kind of fun.
fun. But for me, it was the most meaningful thing. And I don't, I don't know if they even caught what I was catching. But they come to this point, they have this little child song called Diana. And the kids get up and skip around the room and even get little toys and stuff. And they all sing Diana, Diana, da 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 Diana, Diana. More Hebrew words that Carl cannot say. So they just keep saying, I'm in Hebrew, I don't know what's going on. But Diana, I do know, it's a Hebrew word that means it would have been enough. It's a beautiful moment of gratitude that they do when they're not doing a children's song. And they will do it something like a a, a responsive reading with a group. I'm going to do it for you right now with some of the things that the Hebrew people read. I'm going to say the phrase, and then I'm going to ask you if you would say, it would have been enough at the end. So, if God had taken us out of Egypt and he had not made judgments on the Egyptians, it would have been enough. If he had made judgments on them and had not split the sea for us, if he had split the sea for us and had not taken us through it on dry land, if he had taken us through it on dry land and had not pushed down our enemies in the sea, if he had pushed down our enemies in the sea and had not supplied our needs in the wilderness for 40 years, and if he had supplied our needs in the wilderness for 40 years and had not fed us the manna, if he had brought us close to Mount Sinai and had not given us the Torah, and if he would have given us the Torah and had not brought us into the land of Israel, those are just some of them. And they would have gone back and forth. And what's beautiful is to think about is that Jesus was sitting that moment going, it would not have been enough. There would need to be an atoning sacrifice of a perfect one in coming and living a perfect life to take our imperfections and our penalty on himself. It was not enough. And that leads us right to the fourth cup, the fourth time this would be raised. The fourth cup is called the cup of Hallel. It means praise. We do see in John 17 that, that Jesus praised the Father. We don't see a fourth cup. And some historians have wondered if maybe it wasn't raised because for you Bible readers, you know that at the end of the book, Revelation, there's something called the marriage supper of the Lamb. And on that day, he will raise the fourth cup. I will take you to be my people. And on, that's where we see the scripture in Matthew 26. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. It could have been that Jesus reserved that fourth cup and did not drink it and said, I'm not going to do this right now because I have something much better in store on that last day. You just walked through parts of a Seder today of a Passover. But I don't want you to miss these four proclamations that were not just said from God to the people of Israel in Exodus about their freedom. They're still reiterated to us today. Look at them one last time and notice that I've highlighted one word. That Jesus was prophetically looking straight to the Gospels right at each one of us. And he says this, I will bring you, I will deliver you from slavery. I will redeem you. I will take you to be my people. The emphasis, I believe, is on you. And then many times if you've been in a church, they take communion, they go, we go to 1 Corinthians, and we read this moment where Paul is recalling the pass Passover. He's recalling the Last Supper, and he's saying, they did that once a year. Let's do this regularly as followers of Jesus so that we don't forget. In chapter 11, 1 Corinthians, Paul would say that the Lord Jesus, 
on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I want to encourage you now to take this little communion package you were given when you walked in the door and pull off that top layer that gives you access to the wafer, and then you can pull the foil back as well. And as our worship team comes, we're going to have a, a bit of a Dianu moment where this is the moment where you get to be with the Lord. And I want to encourage you, if you're by yourself, you can do this by yourself. If you're with your family or your roommate or a friend, um, a spouse, maybe just turn and take a minute to pray together to say, Lord, you have brought us through so much. And at one level, if what you just did, if you stopped it right now, it would be enough because we don't deserve what we got. But we're thankful that we stand here and we say, it was not enough. The song you sang earlier could not have been perfect. I didn't call the team and ask them to do them. But they were saying the cross was more than enough. His blood was more than enough. And you're taking this cup. You're joining the disciples at the Last Supper, thanking Jesus for raising that cup and saying, thank you that you said you would redeem me. You would root me out. Make me a part of your people. And so I want to give, you're going to get a moment to do this and just to pray. And then on your own timing, take communion. Uh, with whoever you're sitting with by yourself and just come to the Lord clean the heart of all the all the yeast, all of the leaven, all of what would rise that's not from heaven and then picture yourself standing here with Jesus receiving his invitation to be redeemed Lord we are so grateful for the bread and for the cup we're thankful for the new protocols you ushered in as the Messiah and today we're reminded as we gather around that table that you're inviting all of us to drink from your cup. And we want to drink it down to the last drop. Give you a moment there. Pray together to take communion in your own time.